Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm well. How about you? It's been a minute since we've done this. It's been a minute. A lot of things going on and yeah. We've been busy. We're out of practice. <laughs> we, we really are. You went to Jeff City and testified on diaper tax bill. How was that? It was a very interesting experience. Every when you asked me, I was like, everything in me was saying, no, this sounds terrible. But <laughs> I really wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. That's mm-hmm. part of what we're doing, right? So yeah. It was great. I met some really cool people and um, spoke in front of people, which is something that I am trying to improve on. And I th- I'm really hopeful about how everybody there reacted to the issue of removing sales tax or reducing sales tax. So good. I feel good about it, but I'm also weary of government process. And Yeah, well, so they did the official vote finally late last night and um, all of the bills passed. So, wow, that's amazing. Yes, it is amazing. Now, I don't I have to look at exactly what the bills are because I don't think they're going to remove tax totally, but they are going to reduce the tax. So I haven't had a chance yet to look into all of those details, but um, great work. I think what you did was well. <laughs> I'm not sure how much I contributed, but you I'm happy with the results. I mean, yeah. obviously, we'd like for it to see it removed, but I remember there was one gentleman on the committee who said that he believed that you know in the cause he just couldn't see people taking away sales tax for diapers when they're still mm-hmm. sales tax for food. Which yeah. I kind of get, but there's assistance programs for food, you know, mm-hmm. so it's exactly. a little bit different, but yep. Yeah. There's no assistance programs for diapers. And we had another group go down to Jeff city just this week to just kind of, um, educate people. Um, St. Louis diaper bank did a little bit, bit of lobbying and it was interesting because the Missouri bank diaper, Missouri diaper bank coalitions Um, we had asked for some funding specific for diaper banks, which got turned down because it is largely felt by a lot of the representatives, legislators, um, that churches provide diapers. So our team went around this week to ask those representative and legislators where they think the churches got those diapers from. (laughs) Right. It's the diaper banks. Um, so we, you know, we, fi- we found out we had more work to do just on the education piece and helping them understand that, you know, that that's not, I mean, yes, some churches do provide diapers, but certainly not in the way that we're able to provide the diapers, the size match, the amount that they need. Um, and in a lot of cases, churches are getting diapers from diaper banks all over the right. state. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's well, it's crazy. Kudos to you guys for you and Susan for yeah know, starting this whole process and putting your energy into it. Cause I'm sure it's been yeah <laughs> something it's crazy. In addition, Susan, but- yeah, as as you know, Ashley, I ha- I have the COVID right now. <laughs> Yes. How are you feeling? I'm out with COVID. I feel good today. Yesterday was, was rough. My poor daughter though, she's been out and she's pretty miserable. Um, Mm -hmm. 
this is what her fourth day of, of maybe even fifth, she's felt pretty bad. So Mm -hmm. I hope she turns a corner pretty soon. Um, but so I was not, I was supposed to go to Jeff city and I was not able to, but you know, Susan of course was out knocking on everybody's door down there and she made the rounds and, and just did some incredible work. And Brittany and Kelly from our program team went and kind of manned the table in the third floor rotunda, um, while Susan was out working her magic. So a lot of Mm -hmm. good contacts a lot of good information from from that trip down there so it was great but definitely getting our name out there and getting awareness out there yeah so um hopefully the podcast is picking up a little traction we thought we'd we'd do kind of a best of basically best of each podcast clip we've done so far maybe if you're new this might be a good podcast to start on pick up on you can just hear some clips from from everything um I think, you know, we've got, we've got Tess was one of my favorites. We um, talked a lot about cloth diapers versus um, disposable diapers. You know, at the end of the day, none of us care what you use. We're all doing the best, but it definitely was a little bit of a hot topic. I think, I think because of the way we worded the title, which was great. We got a lot of listens. Um, (laughs) It became a hot topic conversation. Um, But, you know, she talks about how we're all doing the best. And I think that's, that's so true. And I'm trying to remember some of my other favorites. That was one of my favorites. Have you had a favorite, Ashley, you think, that we have done so far? I think one of the most eye-opening episodes for me was the one with um, the CEO of Uzazi Village, just because I was completely unaware of what she was doing. And I actually, when I was in Jeff City, um, one of the other legislators who's from Jackson County but hasn't been dealing directly with us mentioned her. And because she's going to bring her to the Capitol to talk about what she's doing. Oh, boy. And I was like, yeah, we just had her on the podcast. She's doing this revolutionary work that nobody, or at least I was unaware of until we talked with her. And I think more people would be interested to learn about the work that she's doing because she's doing it in such a scientific and researched way that it's hard to overlook it. It is. And she's, yeah, I love the work that she does and the things that she makes you think about. That was a really, really good one. I liked it. Um, I've, I've liked everybody's autumn. One of our, um, young professional board members and clients was also really good, but really at the end of the day, I like them all. (laughs) So we hope you enjoy this compilation and we'll see you in a few weeks. This is former board member Tess Koppelman. Diapers in the landfill, but we're putting those plastic pants in the landfill, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you could argue probably just as bad. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear that it was cost prohibitive for most people back then, which I never thought of. And now I really want to do some research because I bet that's very true. And it kind of was a, you know, that was a luxury to have disposable diapers. And it's interesting um, we just had a comment on social media that I haven't addressed yet. Ashley, I was going to talk to you about it. I was just thinking about that. Someone, uh, a couple of people actually commenting about how they would, 
you know, suggest that our clients use cloth diapers. Oh yeah. And, we, we used to hear that a lot too. And, yeah. And, and yeah. as you know, Tess, um, it's, you know, that is just really not a reality for most of the families we serve because most of them are working parents who are sending their children to daycare. Mm-hmm. They have to supply disposable diapers um, to their child care center. And on top of that, many of them don't have access to washer and dryer. You can't yeah. take the dirty diaper on the city bus. And if you go to a laundromat, you have to run a load of bleach after that's an extra cost. So it's just um, not the most realistic thing. Personally, I you could not pay, pay me, I don't think enough to use a cloth diaper. I mean, I don't, I just can't imagine the stress that the families we serve are already facing and then having to deal with cloth diapers in a time when that's not the norm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I'll tell you when I first had Elliot, um, I wanted to give cloth a go mm-hmm. and we didn't, I didn't want the startup cost. The startup cost of cloth is very high now. Mm -hmm. Um, the cloth diapers have really come a long way. And so they're a lot better. That also means the startup cost is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we decided to try a cloth diaper service, which was money. It was quite a bit of money. Um, but we thought, well, it's worth a try. Let's give it a go and see how it works. Um, and I personally hated it. I hated Mm it. Um, they leaked like crazy. Um, every, here I am, this new mom, I'm, you're dealing with all the stresses of being a new mom Pressures, and then, yeah. yeah. And then add up on top of it. Every time I'm picking up my baby, I'm picking him up and turning him around to make sure we don't have leaks all over the place so that I can then hold him. And I'm just like, uh, it was, oh. it was just, it was too much for a new parent to also uh-huh. constantly be like, I don't want to have poop and pee all over me. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like it's switched. It used to be a luxury to be able to have disposable diapers. And now it's almost a luxury to be able to choose cloth diapers. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. Cause it is the startup cost is so high. Um, you know, the cost to maintain the, uh, cloth diapers uh, is quite high. Um, yeah, it's in, some people would argue, oh, the the startup cost is higher, but you know, once you have them and you're taking care of it, will you still? This is client and current board member Richard Dixon. There's always this thought of of things not going well, and that actually comes from a, another idea, and that's limiting beliefs that I developed as a kid, as a mm-hmm. two and three year old. Um, limit that's where limiting beliefs develop, right? When that period of time between two and seven, and the limiting belief that developed was because of how I came into this world. And that is that I wasn't with my mom and I was born on a wedlock. And therefore I believe that things were always going to be hard for me and that I would always have to climb the Mount Everest to achieve anything. And so there's always this thought that there's something just not going to work. There's something that's just not going to, I'm have to, you know, I'm going to have to, uh, just push the metal, the pedal down to the, the floor, the down, and just plunge through. Because otherwise, if I just hesitate for a moment, it's all going to fall apart. Back to want to work. Um, I don't subscribe to that mindset any longer. I've since replaced that limiting belief, but it, it, it dominated my life for the most of my childhood and adult life. Wow. And um, it's. It's a unnerving feeling to always 
feel or think that something's not going to work even when good things are happening you know right like waiting for that other shoe to drop waiting for the other shoe to drop right exactly yeah but yeah i've I've replaced that limiting belief with uh, a more positive more confident more empowering uh thought and that is that things will work and that Mm -hmm. There is, there are systems and ways to doing things that can, um, you know, ensure your success. And, you know, there's a different perspective. The second thing I remember was, and this was the year, this is 1969. And there were, in New York, there was a real big clash with the, the Puerto Ricans and the police. There were all these issues. Well, we had riots in, in Puerto Rico during that time. And I can remember that they, we were in school and they locked us down and we could not go out and that we had to wait. And they were trying to make it seem just, you know, oh, we're just going to wait here. We're not going to go out in the courtyard and everything. But I knew something was wrong. And I can remember still just that day not being able to go out and having to stay in the room. And then the third thing I remember was that was the first time I saw poverty. And, you know, we live in San Juan, which is a huge city. And of course, you know, just like in the States, if you live in the suburbs, everything just seems nice and rosy and beautiful. But when we drive to school, we would drive down this, this, uh, this kind of this freeway or this major road. And I remember it was always to the left. There was a river and it was always very hazy and there were shacks if you will i mean now we would say like homeless tents and pictures but i couldn't understand what was going on my brain couldn't understand i remember my older sister explaining to me that these people didn't have any money they didn't have a house to live in and this is where they live this is client and young professional board member autumn bryant i could speak for a lot of students who went through the cogman scholars program because we were just a subset of kids out of our school who were getting like this special treatment and the buses, but it was really cool too, because, um, you know, Kaufman Scholars sole grantor is the Kaufman Foundation, which um, has an enormous endowment of Mr. K's legacy, who's um, Mr. Ewing Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And so they are at liberty to kind of put a little sprinkle on the things that they do. So like our bus wasn't no regular rinky dink school bus. It was like a limousine style bus and they had <laughs> snacks for us and everything. But I tell you why that was so important because we've had never really been like treated like that. You know, most mm-hmm. of the things that we were funded or given were based on the budget that we were had to work with and so it was so cool to ride around like in style mm-hmm. and you know although it was cool for us you know other kids at school would be like dang you know they wanted to be a part of the program and they only accepted a certain so amount many. Mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. uh, but it was nice to see how the other half part of it. a little bit yeah. well yeah i mean i think it's amazing i think that program is incredible and you know you think about too just having the snacks you said your mom you know was like making minimum wage so for some of those kids that might have been the most food food they've seen that day was having for that sure. snack and that's huge so um so that's incredible but obviously our world has a long ways to go this is Uzazi Village CEO and founder Hakima Payne. It actually is plain old everyday systemic racism embedded in healthcare and how 
healthcare expresses itself uh, to the black body, and uh, and the reason there are so many health inequities uh, for black bodies uh, in every arena of healthcare mm-hmm. uh, is because black bodies are treated differently and not in a good way. When you get to the arena of maternal and infant health, you see sicker babies, babies that don't survive, sicker pregnancies. Uh, and so my work is to create systems of care that recognize, celebrate, and nurture uh, Black ways of being and Black culture. Uh, so I create Afrocentric models of care. I have and- so many questions. <laughs> This is the United Way's Jim McDonald. In the wake of uh, welfare reform implemented by uh, Congress in the late 1990s, during when Bill Clinton was president, um, I mean, it's such an awful, it's such a misnomer, uh, this idea of welfare reform, uh, because that that legislation created more problems than it solved, in in my opinion. And um, so the number, my point being, the numbers of people who receive cash welfare assistance um, who are not working is, you know, a really tiny fraction of the number of low-income households, um, and that was by design. Um, and um, and what what the reason that that welfare reform legislation failed so miserably, in addition to like reducing the amount of resources that get put into cash assistance, is that the vision for um, you know kind of the workforce uh, component of the initiative um, really never came to fruition. So we do not have adequate pathways uh, for low-income adults, especially the low-income adults with children, uh, to make it, uh, to get a a strong foothold in the workforce. Um, So what that ends up looking like is, you know, uh, intermittent periods of unemployment, um, which which oftentimes results in, you know, periodic homelessness. You know, homelessness is not kind of a one-time thing that you get past. Like many people you know, become homeless many times over the course of their life. Um, and it all goes back to income inequality. So public policy measures like increases in the minimum wage, which thankfully the voters of Missouri saw the wisdom of. And so we've had a multi-year, um, you know, path of increasing uh, the minimum wage. Uh, um, I think it's $10 and is around $10 an hour now, but it's headed to $12 an hour over a period of time. Um, and so for people at the bottom rung of earners, um, that helps them. Mm-hmm. Um, programs like the earned income tax credit that put more you know, cash at the end of the year, more cash in uh, the pockets of low income workers uh, to, you know, to provide um, for their, their families. Um, you know, and so there have been, you know, there's the earned income tax credit at the national level. Um, the state of Kansas has a modest earned income tax credit program of its own. And then it's in the, in the state of Missouri, it's just been a, an idea that has been floating out there for many years, uh, but hasn't come into fruition. So if we could institute an earned income tax credit in Missouri, it would have the effect of increasing incomes among low income households. Um, but it would be wrong of me to let this podcast end without sort of pointing to one of the most transformational things that's happened in the era of COVID, era of COVID and that was action by Congress um, to increase, to dramatically increase the child tax credit. Um, so right now, um, any family with a child is getting, um, you know, up until last month was getting monthly payments, which is essentially was an, an advance on the child tax credit that they will be entitled to come tax filing season. Um, I think they were uh, making advanced payments equal to about half of the overall award. 
Um, this month they've stopped, um, but we'll be able to, the, anybody with a child will be able to claim the balance of the child tax credit, the expanded child tax credit that is due to them um, at tax filing time here in a couple of months. Um, and it's, it's been looked at by the experts and, uh, you know, time will tell because, you know, a lot of this data is looking ret uh, retrospectively, um, but it's looking like the, the expanded child tax credit had the impact of reducing child poverty by somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45% um, in, in the U.S. Um, wow. and, and it did that very simple, not by creating a bunch of new programs, but simply by putting more money in the pockets and the bank accounts um, of low-income workers. Um, and, you know, the, those kinds of strategies are the ones that ha stand to have the greatest impact. This is Diaper Bank of the Ozarks founder and CEO, Jill Bright. After I was divorced the first time, I had two children. I actually gave, because of circumstances, we, we divided our children. I was working as a nurse aide in this country. I couldn't support two children, and my ex-husband wanted to take them both. So I made that decision, but then I worked two jobs, two jobs to make sure I had the money to raise my daughter. At one point, she came to me, she was about eight years old, and she said, Mommy, why don't you stay home like some of the other moms? They get checks from the government. Why don't you stay home so you can be with me more? That was a hard choice. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it was. This is Happy Bottoms supporter and friends, Rod and Sharon Hennig. It was important because we are very blessed with where we are and what we have. And it's important to me that we give back as much as we possibly can. So, um, and Rod's exactly the same. And I think, you know, I think last night we were talking about it and I think probably, yeah, the hardest part we had was trying to decide what focus was our foundation going to be, you know, because I was joking with the people last night, if we had pulled our five children, they would want to give to animals, no matter what. <laughs> we were going to save every animal on the planet. Um, yep. But I always, you know, and we love animals, don't get us wrong, but um, it's not our passion, you know, and we mm -hmm. talked about kind of like, really, what was it, where was it that we were going to make a difference? And, and how can we um, work with other organizations and just really help in our community and, you know, around the nation and around the world. This is Happy Bottoms board member and pediatrician, Dr. Lisa Avery. Starting in college, I, I worked in a pediatric emergency room in St. Louis um, that um, saw a lot of Medicaid patients. And, and so, and that was kind of an inner city St. Louis. And so, my my view of the world really expanded at that point and then once i became a mother i knew i wanted to to instill in my kids that they kind of that 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 givingness and, and understanding that um, not everybody's like us and so then we started to do some volunteerism and um and so really it's it's trying to help reshape my kids world that really has exploded my um hopefully my ongoing better understanding of poverty. I know I'm not, um, I, there's a lot more for me to learn, but, but trying to make them better people has really been inspirational for that. Dr. Avery, I'm not sure how much you can share based on, you know, hippo or anything, but 
can you do you have experience with moms who are having their babies who know that it's going to be a huge expense do you see any of like the stress that they go through what kind of what's that like what for a mom who knows she's getting ready to bring this person into the world and she knows she doesn't have the resources to fully care for that child the, the way that the rest of us may yeah so I, I i get the opportunity to care for families across all spectrums and so there there is for kind of the young moms that that i'm aware that they don't maybe have a whole lot of family support there it's a very different experience even from the beginning in the hospital of um kind of a lot more anxiety it seems like in the beginning um but um it's still joyous for everybody um and then just kind of watching them in the first few weeks that are in our patients that um maybe don't have the most access to resources, you know, the first several months are stressful for everybody. And then you add that layer to it. So, um, yeah, um, luckily we have a great um, social work um, team at the hospitals and um, at our office as well. And so I feel like at least on some level, we're able to help provide some support, but I know there's a whole lot more out there that um, they could probably use. So. This is Happy Bottoms Board Vice Chair Mark Ungashik. My wife and I got introduced to a program that they were starting called Adult Connect. Mm. And no surprise with kids and stuff, I mean, it's so hard because um, they, so many of them come from, you know, um, one parent families and they just don't have the parenting skills that, you know, with, and they, and they're now parents and they have children. And so um, they've, learn that by connecting the different uh, um, parents in an after school program so the kids get to, you know, play in the maker space or do other things while the parents are interacting and they're working on mm-hmm. parenting skills. And uh, I see that by learning from each other and what works and what doesn't work and being honest about some of their stories and some of their, uh, some of their, um, some of the not so good stories. Um, yeah, they were able to share those experiences, and then they learn from each other, and they become better, better parents. And then they pass those same skills on to their kids. I mean, that's kind of the uh, the hope, right? That it yeah. branches out and becomes a, a life learning experience for all of them. One thing that and I've mentioned this before, but I think one thing that makes us all the same is that we're all looking for connection, and that's why you know friendships are really important. And I think a lot of nonprofits have moved towards a model of, you know, creating these connections between two people so that, you know, sometimes when we think about like all the problems in Kansas City or all the problems in the world or all the problems in the country, if we can just invest in one person, you know, and kind of walk along their journey, sometimes that can have a huge impact as opposed to trying to take like, you know, a broader approach. Like you you think about Big Brothers Big Sisters or the mentoring program you're talking about, I just think that sometimes people need someone to walk alongside them. You know, we had a food pantry at our church and we started a program where, you know, once someone had come to the food pantry over a period of time, then we would see if they wanted somebody to mentor them. Maybe it was like budgeting or parenting or just skills that they, you know, you can pick up a book, but if you have somebody there to kind of coach you along and be your accountability partner and, you know, believe in you and invest in you, your time, your talents, your treasure, whatever it is, I just think that that can sometimes make a really big impact on a person if they just have one other person that 
is on their side, believes in them, and is their cheerleader. This is Megan and Lauren with The Matrescence. Life society has kind of put this expectation on moms to continue to wear more hats and climb the corporate ladder and do all the things and make it look pretty um, Mm -hmm. with filters and whatever highlight reels and all of that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, really the passion for this space came from a personal recognition of how um, bad moms are struggling and how much support that moms need and really um, the pitfalls that we came into, even though we, like we said, kind of have that support system that you would dream of. So, and then, you know, working in healthcare and we have, um, you know, I grew up with a baby on my hip since I was old enough to hold one. I always had children around me. So (laughs) if I was going to struggle in motherhood um, with anything from, you know, trying to conceive all the way through veteran mom of three, just burnt out and trying to wear all the hats, I knew that if I struggled, um, there's so many people out there who are going through the same or worse struggles than I am. This is Michelle Goth. I um, helped with a program at one of the charter schools in Casey Moe, and we were basically teaching the students and their caregiver about basic cooking skills, you know. How do you cook from fresh? Like, let's let's get you familiar with it so that it doesn't feel so daunting. Um, and that for me was a complete light bulb and that a lot of the children had not eaten any of the foods that we had, you know, whether it was a fresh protein. Um, I remember like very distinctly that um, one fourth grader I was working with had not tasted a blueberry or a blackberry you know that was the first time I really since I see the world through food that I saw what that meant this is founder and CEO of help a mother out Lisa Trong I think people who don't work in nonprofit are under their impression that everything is like rainbows and unicorns and you know everyone gets along and there's no competition and um you know, it, and that's not the case. And, and, you know, right. what's, what's also, but, but what is the case is, um, and I think we're kind of, we're, we're probably cut from a pretty similar cloth, I mm-hmm. would say is just, you know, you mentioned the, you know, keeping your head down, focusing on your goals and, you know, I mean, I think that is the, the healthiest approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, if it, one should be in competition with yourself, Yes. not with other people. And, um, you know, I think it's amazing that, you know, you, I mean, you were inspired by us, but like, certainly like you did the work, <laughs> you and your colleagues, have done the work. you know, it takes, right. nobody sees all the, all the hard work behind right. the scenes. 